This week on the pod, we dissect a huge weekend of footy, look at the Ross Lion news and the Bulldogs' resurgence, while Christian runs us through a week in the life at Champion Data. Strap in, everyone. This is going to be a big one. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast for another week. Uh, My name is Matt Walsh. I'm joined by Neil Seawang. Neil, how are you? I'm very well. I think all four of us here are a little bit flustered with the Ross Lyon news breaking about 15 minutes ago. We are under the pump, Jake Michaels. (laughs) It is. It's the season that just continues to deliver and and offer up so much, isn't it? We had um, a really big pre-podcast meeting today, and we, we thought we'd sort of chiseled down what we needed to to have a really good episode. And then literally probably about five minutes, I think, before we walk into uh, this podcast, we sort of thrown the, the shock news that Ross Lyon uh, and Steve Rossich have been sacked from Fremantle. It's kind of hard to believe, uh, Christian, from Champion Data. What do you make of it all? Yeah, just it did. It happened so quickly. I mean, the the other three coaches that left during the season sort of had about a week or two of lead-up, if not more. This one's come sort of out of nowhere. It kind of has it come out of the blue, and it's kind of a shame. Because, I mean, we will touch on Ross Lyon a bit further down the track, but there's so much we're not going to be able to speak about this week, Neil. I mean, North and the Bombers had amazing wins after bouncing back from probably the worst losses they've had just about all year. Mm-hmm. Um, South Australian footy had arguably its worst weekend in years. There were arguably. Two cracking... Well, I mean, you can no, make argu- the case that it, it was, since the turn of the century. They were shocking. they, both of them? Yeah. Um, we almost wish we could talk about them a bit more, but... You know, two cracking top four clashes that we had. We had a rare winter flip-flop spotting. Yes, uh, we did. The AFL. With the AFL and the studs, <laughs> the the studs up. up rule. Um, you know, maybe we do a straw poll later if we have a little bit of time about what we think about that. But, I mean, there's just so much on, on left on the table, unfortunately, that we're not going to be able to get to it. So we better get stuck straight into our first segment. It's time for three on three. We did touch on it off the top, uh, but just before we hit record on this week's podcast, the news dropped that Ross Lyon and CEO Steve Rossich have been sacked by Fremantle. There are a few layers to this, uh, and of course, it has only just happened, so we kind of, you know, we probably know a bit, a little bit less than what our listeners might know if any further details come to light, but what we can talk about is the impact that this will have leading into the last game of the season uh, and a busy off-season, clearly, for, for Fremantle, Neil. There, there's so many layers, and it is so fresh, and it and, and as Christian said off the top, it, it really came out of the blue, and it's, and it's very difficult to be on the other side of Australia and to be aware of any undercurrents, or I think we all knew that there was a little bit of pressure going going on to, to Ross um, after another non-final season and probably thought that that would maybe come to a head next year. So for them to make a call with one round to go is really surprising. Um, but yeah, where do we start? Do we want to talk about, I mean, what does it mean for, for Ross Lyon himself? Does he mm. Will he get looked at elsewhere? St Kilda haven't named a coach. There might be some more coach movement um, by the end of this season. You probably think he doesn't go back to St Kilda considering the way he sort of walked out of that joint. Uh, and you sort of say that Brett Ratton's probably in the box seat for the St Kilda job anyway. Um, you kind of you kind of look maybe the South Australian teams, Jake. You sort of mentioned you know they've had a terrible week. Maybe there might be a spot opening up there. I mean, this could be one of the biggest years for the coaching merry-go-round in in recent memory. Well, I think it already is. I mean, we we talk about it being a shock, but let me ask you guys. I, don't, I want to see. Let's just throw out the number that first pops into your head. What do you reckon his winning percentage is at Frio? 60, 58? 51. I've written it down. <laughs> Fifty three. Like it's not good. Yeah. It's not good for a side where he went over there. They were they were in a grand final. Mm-hmm. So I'll take that even one step further. So I, I looked at that. And then from the 2015 grand final, which they reached, so 2016 and 19, he's at 33% uh, winning percentage across the last four years. And previously in his career, he was at 69% leading into that grand final. So, so we say it's a shock, but it's like on those numbers, and everyone always goes on about how it's a win-loss industry. It's like, it's not that shocking. I mean, I, think- I know he's got a year. I know he had a year left on his contract, but... But you, you look at the numbers, and I mean, it's hard to dispute the fact that he's 
stayed there that long. But both coaches and clubs these days, when there's one year left on the contract, that's the year that things need to happen. You never want to go into the last year of contract as a coach because you're thinking, well, I might be out of a job. You want some security. And clubs never want to go into the last contract of your, uh, last year of a contract as well because then it's kind of like, well, do we resign? It's like who's going to blink first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the move was kind of... I guess in a way it kind of doesn't surprise me that it came this year because both coaches and clubs like to have something done in advance because otherwise, you know, especially maybe Roscoe, he's a sort of coach where another club might think, well, if he goes into the final year of his contract and we want him, maybe we could poach him. So it's kind of, I can see why they've pulled the trigger now, but I mean, it, it raises a lot of questions. I mean, Steve Rossich as well has, has now been given the boot. So you kind of think that there's going to be some wholesale changes at the top of Frio. And what does that mean for the off-season? Trades, free agents? I mean, Brad Hill, does he leave now? Or does, or does he, he stay now? Does he stay? Like, is, is, yeah. is, was, was Ross part of the, the reason that he wanted to leave? I mean, the questions are kind of endless. You'd love, um, to, you'd love to know, and it's still too fresh to understand, was it Ross's idea or was it the club's idea to part ways? Did they push him and say, no, we want someone fresh, maybe f- from a list management point of view? Or did he say, look, I want to get ahead of this and maybe because he famously left mm. St Kilda, you know, in acrimonious circumstances and, and pulled the, the, the rug under their feet in a little bit. So it'd be interesting. I'd love to know whose call it was. Yeah, for me, optics, again, very early days, the optics to me seem to be that he was pushed yeah. just because the way it was announced that he's been sacked immediately. In, you usually get teased if Ross Lyon's going to do a press conference at 12 o'clock with Steve Rossich. And it seems like they've both been just, you know, pushed out the door, yeah. uh, you know, together at the same time. As little as a month ago, I'm pretty sure Ross came out and sort of said, oh, hey, hey, I'm here for the long haul. I'm willing to work through sort of stuff. And, the, the funny, and oh no, it's not funny, I guess, but the interesting thing about it is, is that this year is probably the year that Ross Lyon had invested in youth as much as any other year that he's had at Fremantle. So it it's, it's like he was... To. Well, a little bit forced to, but like this is the year that he kind of started saying, great, well, I'm here to sort of help build the club up from a, from a lower position. Mm. So in that sense, it's kind of like, well, now he's been given the boot. Question for the table. Does it make it Fremantle a more desirable place to want to play without Ross in charge? I mean, obviously it's a bit hard to know without a coach, but do other free agents or trade targets suddenly go, oh, maybe I, now I will go to Frio. But I think a lot of a lot of potential players that, that might have considered going now aren't sure what the future holds there. And and when you're unsure about the future, you don't want to go. You're not going to go sign a contract and you don't even know who the coach is going to be. Well, Tim I, Kelly famously wanted to go to West Coast last year and and sort of said no to Fremantle. Would, I mean, I mean, I know Frio... Bizarre, it's fascinating. Look, Ten weeks ago, we were talking about Frio potentially playing finals. I mean, they were they were going along quite well. They looked really good. We, we, a lot of people were saying they're the best team in Perth. We, we asked that question. How yeah, crazy yeah. is that? A lot changes, doesn't it, in a, in a couple of months? A lot changes in a week, let alone... And months is just extraordinary. So, I think they're, they've obviously made this call, but I think it's actually going to hurt them because the fact that it's happened so late in the season... Look at Carlton now. Carlton and and North, they're already kind of set with... that. They got it out of the way halfway through the year. They're set now. They're on a nice trajectory. And St. Kilda as well, you feel Brett Ratton's in a, in a nice spot there to, to, get, the, to get the gig. Frio's in a, in a weird spot now because they don't have a coach. They're not playing finals. They've got one more game left. And then what happens in the off-season? It, re- it could hurt them enormously. One thing they've got to do is really... They've got to move really swiftly. Mm. But talking about Absolutely. all the, the, um, the question marks still in the air, if you're a potential... If you're either a potential um, recruit that might want to join the club or if you're a, player, a Dockers player right now, you want to know who you're going to be playing for next year. So they've got to make a decision. And, and as you, you're right, Jake, because the clubs that have um, sacked or parted ways with their coaches this year are, are so far stepping ahead of what Frio are at now because they've, they've landed on the coach candidates that they, that they like. The playing groups are happy 
and they can really start building through the off season. And there's just too many variables now at Frio. I also feel that this will have a this will spurn on St Kilda as well, and they they will sign a coach almost. I reckon this week they could almost sign Ratman this week because, as you say, you kind of need that that stability and the knowledge of who's going to be mm. at the helm uh, leading into an off season when when trades and free they're so valuable especially for a club like St Kilda uh, where they're looking to get some and they've got the cap space they're looking to get players in like Hill so they're mm. kind of intertwined those two clubs and not just because the Ross line factor it's a bizarre kind of um, position those clubs find themselves in but I reckon they could almost make the, the call on Ratton this week now does does it open the door for Chris Scott? I think most of us, if Ratton signed Brad, Brad Scott, Brad Scott. Sorry, I get them mixed up all the time. We're talking about Chris Scott later. <laughs> yeah. um, does it open up the door for him? I think most people maybe assumed he was going to be out of the coaching industry next year. Does does he is he a leading candidate? Oh, I now? think, but whether leading or some sort of candidate, I think he's going to have to be looked at. I mean, they've got. We took, everyone was saying Carlton didn't do a, a great job in, in going through all the candidates and they just went with Teague. But I mean, his record spoke for itself. But I think now Freo's going to have to. They're going to have to assess what's out there, look at all the options and then make the best call. And Brad Scott is one of those play, one of those coaches that you have to look at. He had 10 years in the industry. He just, might be the happiest man in Australia because he uh, he was sort of He was looking for, like he wasn't going to have a seat for a while. Correct, yeah. And and now one's opened up and, and I dare say he'll, he'll interview and, and does, be a strong does, candidate. Does Ross get it? Does Ross coach next year? <laughs> we touched on the South Australian clubs, but I mean that's a lot to unpack, and probably don't have time to in this episode. We'll have to come back for another episode later this week. I'm maybe. sure we'll probably have more to discuss about Fremantle and Ross Lyon in next week's episode. For sure. Uh, moving on, I was laughed out in our preseason predictions. I'm just going to take a moment here to gloat. I was, I think, the only one at the table. Christian, you might have copied me because you do that a bit on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but I sort of said I really like the Dogs, and I think they'll make finals. And at the moment, after going four and seven in the early part of the year, they are now on track to make finals and loom as a really big wild card, I think. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of 2016. What say the rest of you? <laughs> I don't think they're as impressive as what they were in 2016. I think, just trying to think back, they had they had injuries in 2016. They probably were a better side than seventh or eighth. They finished seventh, but they were probably a fourth, a third to fifth best side throughout the home and away season. I think they lost some games, had injuries, and, and but they all and everything came together in the finals, obviously. So I don't think they're as talented a side. But what they've done in the last few weeks, again, we always talk about hitting form at the right time when you're looking at finals. They're in form. They really are. They're really in form. Yep. And one, we- one number that paints to how much informed they are, and this has probably been going for the whole season. So again, I looked at the ladder versus top eight teams, so just looking at when you play the top eight. They actually sit third on that ladder behind Collingwood and Geelong. So they have the third best record against the other finalists this year. But the thing that gets me with the Bulldogs, they're 13th against the bottom 10 teams. And I think that's what throws me off on the Bulldogs. They can clearly just let you down some weeks. Mm. You, you watch the games are expected to win. They're not as good. I, I still go back to I was there when they got beaten by Gold Coast in <laughs> round four or five, and I can't get that out of my head. And Carlton beat them but as well. again, in, in the finals, all, you, all you're doing is playing the good teams, and they have a great record against good teams. Mm. If, if You'd much rather be going into the finals with knowledge that you can get up for those big games. So they, they seem to be a club that they, they're much better, pardon the pun, as underdogs as mm. they are as, as favourites. So they're just building. And what they've always been a really great contested side through the midfield but they've always been a bit leaky at the back and a bit impotent up forward a lot of question marks in the forward line yeah, they're starting to get answers they're starting to score mm. more freely now and their they're midfielders they're, they've probably got the best four or five their, their group of midfielders are as hard and tough and uh, finals like if you like in terms of that club. midfield you kind of look at it and think who wins the best and fairest this year 
Bontepelli's had a, an outstanding year. I think McRae's Dunkley, also had a Dunkley's very outstanding home like a steam train. I mean, mm. the, the the options they have there, and I said this um, when, when we were talking about the Dogs earlier in the year, I said that their midfield really kind of didn't step up enough last year, whereas this year, and especially in the second half of the season, I mean, I think I, I heard a, a really random stat that Jack McRae, his lowest possession count in the last month of footy is 38 touches. He's an underrated player. Isn't he? Everyone thinks he's good, but he's very good. And he's probably he might even be the third best midfielder in that mix. And I mean, you talked about the the forward setup uh, and how it was a bit sort of up and down, but it kind of was in twenty sixteen as well. You had yeah. Tom Boyd. He sort of it was st- an un- it was always yeah. unconventional. They've never had it a, around yeah. and, and came through in the grand final. And you look now, and uh, like Norton's a, a pretty decent looking prospect and, and has had a, a great season. But you know, Shacky could be that that wild card in the finals. Yeah. Um, he's had a, he's had a good couple of weeks and and. Gee, I, I don't know. There's you something wanna, about the dogs. We know you want to come up against them. We know scoring is going to re- come down a little bit in finals, as it generally does. So I think that'll help them because I don't think they're. Re- you can't rely on them to kick. I know they've done points. it the last few yeah. games, but the, the Essendon game was just a bizarre one. Um, <laughs> and the Giants have been tra- traveling horrifically at the moment. So I don't think you can rely on them to kick 100 points every week. But in finals, when the scores do come down a little bit, it gets a bit more contested, the style of football that they like. Yeah, I reckon they're a real, a real um, threat. And, and we spoke last week about the teams outside the top four who could do the most damage. I said Port, and look what's happened to Port. Is it the dogs now? Maybe it is. Oh, aren't we all like uh, the recency bias? It is well, bizarre, it is. isn't it? But, but I when think you're right. But you can't... It has to be recency you, because you, otherwise they're not going to... Port's not going to play finals if you If you look at their pickups over the last couple of years, the, the contributors, like Crozier, great pickup. Um, Jeray's been Jeray's good. a good pickup. Uh, Lloyd has been a great pickup up forward. I mean, the, there's, the parts are coming together and the sum of the parts could be something to look out for in September, for sure. Yeah. Isn't it crazy, though? You just If you just get going at the right time, we've seen it the last few years. Right in 2016. Get going at the right time. You know things can happen, and I don't think many people would be surprised the way they're playing if they were to win a, to win a final or two or two. Or well, three. that's a big call. Or three. <laughs> or four. How far are we going to go? Uh, we will move on to our final three on three topic for the day. Ben Brown had a, a day out or a night out rather on Saturday, single handedly defeating Port Adelaide ten one sixty one to eight ten fifty eight. But despite the fact he'll now win the Coleman and has now kicked sixty plus goals for a third straight year, seems like he still isn't quite rated as one of the top three forwards in the game, Neil. Yeah, I don't know what it is, and I think I think he should be considered one of the the top couple of um, key forwards in the game. I don't think there's any current player that's kicked sixty in a row, um, uh, sixty goals three years in a row, um, and six of the past seven Coleman winners have won with goal totals in the sixties. So that's that's as good as it gets in terms of a goal kicker. So I think maybe people get put off by Ben Brown because he's a little bit ungainly. He can flop for free kicks, especially in marking contests and, and ruck contests. Up. He's not a traditional, you know, pack crashing forward. He's just a very much get separation, marks the ball at the high highest point, goes back and kicks a goal. So he's he's not he doesn't have a great highlights reel. He's probably not that exciting to watch. But in terms of results, he's he's as good as any right now. I think you summed it up. Um, consistency. We don't like consistency. Almost we prefer the the flashy, you know, inconsistent player that can do extraordinary things, and then have a game where they do nothing. Whereas Brown seems to be taking out the, the Geelong game the week before where the whole team the team was <laughs> horrific and they kicked one goal per game. Um, he is consistent. And he, as you say, for the last three or four years, he's been consistent and he's kicked 60 goals every year and he's kicked, but it, not just within seasons, within games as well. And I think you kind of just, you, you probably, if you ask the average footy fan, they'd probably have five, six key yeah. forwards ahead of him. Um, I think you're right. The consistency is a good thing. He's kicked a bag of four plus goals seven times this year. 
uh, nine times last year and five times the year before. So he's 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 able to kick decent like scores of footy. And there's a few threes thrown in there I threw in there, but I was like, no, oh, how far can you take it down? Bags of three, bags of four, bags, bags of, of five, but bags of one. <laughs> but you know, bags of four. Seven times this this season's yeah, pretty impressive. impressive. Yeah. In this in this era where kicking yeah kicking four is is not an easy thing to do yeah. in this era. But uh, look, playing devil's advocate, I think um, the ten goals at the weekend. I mean, Port Adelaide were woeful. I've I've not seen a team defensively that poor almost all year. Uh, it, and it, it's it's a top five worst performances for any team this this season. And, it, been, uh, and there's been some shockers. Kicking ten goals. I mean, it's no easy feat. But boy, oh boy. I mean, if if ever there was a game to kick ten goals, I think that's the, it was, the week. It was the perfect it. storm as well. He couldn't miss. He was, he was ten goals straight. You know, he kicked his behind was his last score of the. I think he got booed match, when he kicked that behind too, which fair is enough. unbelievable. <laughs> Why would you do it? Uh, but I'd, uh, look, coming back to the argument of you know, is he is he one of the best key forwards in the competition? I'm probably, as Jake said, I'm probably in you know the average AFL punter. I'm in I'm in there probably camp. I wouldn't have him as I'd have him close to my top five key forward. I'd have him number one or two as a goal kicker, but there's a lot more to do as a key forward, and the game's expanded upon upon that. He's got two glaring holes in his games that other key forwards around him that we're sort of comparing to don't have. So he doesn't tackle, which again, not a big part of the game for key forwards. But if if you sort of stack him up against the other big uh, key forwards uh, in the time, so he's had 75 tackles in the last three years. Tom Hawkins, 137 in that time. Mm. Josh Kennedy, 86 in 13 fewer games. Lance Franklin's at 106, so 31 more in 13 fewer games. So that's one big uh, hole of his game. The other one, as uh, Neil touched on before he is, is a great lead-up player. Gets out in front of the opponent. Can uh, probably, I think, I think he's covered more distance um, in, you know, in his GPS running than any, anyone else this year. But he's no good in one-on-one. So stationary one-on-one, he has the 41st best win rate of the top 50 one-on-one players in the la- you know in that last three-year period. So again, for me, superstar player, great goal kicker, but there's still there's two glaring holes in his game that I can't sort of elevate him to be the best in his position. He's a bit of a one-trick pony, but what he does, he does really well. Yeah, it's a great trick to have, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, one of the, the, it's the most valuable head. trick yeah. you can have. But yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess Christian probably um, paints a, a broader picture of what makes a good a great key forward. A well-rounded and, one. As opposed to just a great goal kicker who's very mm. tall and can take marks. The other quirky stat is he's number one for time on ground this year across the whole competition. So he doesn't need to be subbed off. He can he can relieve in the ruck. So he does have a couple of little strings to his bow, which are a bit unusual for a man of that size. Here's a question. Uh, I think we're on the same page here. I reckon we might be about to say the same thing, but um, he's going to win the Coleman medal. <laughs> we are going to say the same He has to make... Thing. I mean, is it crazy to think that he may not be in the All-Australian team. Now, he has to be because he's won the Coleman. It's pretty hard to see him not, but I don't know. Until, like Up until maybe this weekend, you'd probably say Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins would have been the two key forwards. And you're spot on because we're going to release uh, ESPN's All-Australian team shortly, and that is exactly the thinking I had for the forward you're line. you're choosing the forward line, week, aren't yeah, you, Matt? Before yeah. this weekend. But now I've got a tough decision ahead Even of me. someone like Jack Darling. I mean, I know Jack Jack Darling... Tom Lynch. Whether I mean, you want to say he... <laughs> yeah, Tom Lynch has been amazing, hasn't he? But Brown, does he have to make it now? No. Ooh, oh, does Jared Witts have to get in because he's the number one hit-out winner? But isn't goals the most important? Yes, yeah, they are. But I mean, that's important. what I'm saying. Hit you're out. looking at one, one stat. So if, if, you're, if you're saying because he won the goal kicking, he has to get in, my answer is no. Has I'm not the, saying he won't get in or he shouldn't me- be in. Has but the no, that medal winner be, ever not made the All-Australian I'm not sure, but I wouldn't have thought that should be a prerequisite to make the All-Australian team. Hypothetically, if you were picking your own All-Australian team, would Brown make the cut? I haven't done one, but I... Off the top of my head, I wouldn't have thought so. I think I would have. Uh, I think I'd have Hawkins as my number one key forward Hawkins for consistency Cameron. for all year, and then it's Cameron and Darling. Darling quite yeah. 
Again, I'm not sort of ruling him out and saying it'd be a travesty, but I'm saying, yeah, you can't just put him in there because he's the number one. No, that's fair enough. Although we, we did see Matt Prittis, the Brownlow medal winner in 2014, he didn't make the All-Australian team, but but then that was a shock to everyone, so mm. we'll have to keep an eye on it. You have to keep your eye out for ESPN's All-Australian team at the end of the year, but it is time to move on. How about stat with Champion Data? Uh, we all know how wide-ranging Champion Data is with recording stats at a game and the sheer number of stats that they keep uh, week to week, but not many people know exactly what a typical week or a game day a Champion Data looks like. So Christian, we thought we'd get you to take us through it. To start with game day, you wake up, you have breakfast, you're on your way to the ground. What happens when you first get to the footy? Yep, so game day... Um Basically, this for an AFL game, there's two sort of uh, locations that we work at. We've got at the venue and back in the office. So back in the office at South Bank is where all the data is captured. So a game that's been played in the Gabba, we have five people at venue uh, relaying back to the five people in the bunker. Um, and again, just, just for um, sort of consistency and ease of, you know, so, for so many computers, it's easier to capture something in one central place than rather than lug laptops and, you know... Uh, Computers all around on the ground. So Sorry, the captures... now the people at the Gabba are they are they people from Brisbane or do they go to all games? Um, no, we got we got staff in all state. I mean, yeah. if we have to, we'll fly people into state and around games uh, around to all different games. But yeah, we basically got um, standard crew in each state. Um, as I said, there's a minimum of five people need to work per game day. We've probably got a minimum of 12, 13 people in each state yeah. uh, ready to go. So yeah, you got the five people at the ground. Um, their roles vary from so you got the main caller. Uh, so calling the stats back to Southbank, got a guy sitting next to him who we call sort of he's the spotter um, and IT support. So he helps look after all you guys, or the media, or the coaches if they have any problems with any of our software on game day. Plus he's sitting next to the caller, assisting with any missed stats. Uh, he's got the umpires sports ears in there, so he can hear all umpires' decisions. So we know if something's a mark or a free, free kick, kick or exactly that. the reason for a free kick. Uh, so that's probably the biggest one that we hear is the touch play on one. So yep. a lot of the times. You know, we'll get we'll get things on Twitter saying, "Oh, you missed this. This guy took a mark, and you missed it." And you sort of go back and listen to the audio, and the umpire's called touched, and you know, hasn't come across uh, on air. But yeah, so we've got those two guys in the front row, sort of thing, and then the three guys behind them are tracking the things we can't see in the office. So two guys doing matchups, so who's playing on who across the ground, and a third person working in with them doing the interchange moves, so who's coming on and off, and time on ground, and things like that. So, so specifically, just watching the interchange the entire correct. time. Correct. So, so between you can't get distracted by the game. Correct. Can you? It is. It is one of the roles. You where almost you sort need of say, to not like the game. The, <laughs> on, the only way you can stuff up interchange is if you you you're watching sucked into the game. Watching. So it is. It's a. It's a. Again, there's three people that sort of do it because we've got the two guys tracking matchups as well. And, you know, if someone comes off the interchange bench, then they've obviously got to move his matchup and move it. So there's three people working in conjunction there. Um, and then back in the office, we sort of got what our capture staff are. So we've got a main keyboarder who is directly listening to the main caller. And basically, it's dictation. So the caller calls, um, every word is a button. So it might be, you know, oh, I can call it a little bit after, but it might be like Martin hit out. Stefan Martin will be its own button. Hit out will be another mar- button. Zorko gather, and it's just they're just clicking along, mm. hand on mouse. Uh, so no touchscreens or anything. Like that. That's another you know another common question we get. Still use the old fashioned mouse, uh, and they're clicking along doing dictation with a main caller in their ear. Right. Um, combined with them is the back caller, uh, or main spotter. So that is that's my main role on game day. So the four full time or five full time analyst or workers back callers. So. Basically, we're watching all the vision, tying everything together, and as full-timers, we have the final say. And anything that's grey, black or white, anything like that, we can sort of go back to every every single club or every single media client and say, well, we've got the same five people working exact 
on every single AFL game across yep. the season. So, it's so, so if you see, there. if the caller sees uh, a ball sort of squirt out and calls it a hand pass, but you've sort of seen something different and go, no, it actually just sort of spilled out. Correct. You, you, so, you'll overrule and yep. say. Live, live will have to use what you everyone sees on air, but then yep. we've got behind the goals and side angle visions we can get to post quarters and post games. So to do you really mark like that. contentious areas Correct. of the game and yep. say, we need to check if there was a kick here or... Yep. yep. So everything's timestamped. So it's just a little dribble, you know, a little scribble down on your piece of paper. So it must be really 20, intense. this. It is, yeah, it is. Sorry, I cut you off there, but like no, it must right. be like I'm I'm fascinated because it, it must be like the pressure is is quite high, and if you have even five seconds where you you lose your train of thought or you get tongue tied, you've lost maybe like five different little passages of play yep. in, in so a greater where, passage of play. Again, you've got the back caller that can jump in and go over that. You've got the guy sitting next to you, you know, IT spotting that can sort of help you get back on track. Uh, but that's the thing; it's sort of we try to keep it, you know, sound a bit like a footy club and a coach, but process driven. So you can get it, get a bit tongue tied <laughs> on that. But as long roles. as you, well, as long as you stick to the process, you can get yourself back One on play track. One at a time. Okay. And, and the main thing is, you know, what I've been banging about it all year. When you, we call a lot of stats, but ninety percent of the game is possession disposal: getting the ball, getting rid of it, getting the ball, getting rid of it. As long as you can keep up with that, the tackles, the spoils, the blocks, we can fill them in later. We we get them live and we aim for them live, but. You sort of find if you if you're maintaining possession and disposal, the rest of the stuff falls into place. So it can seem quite hectic, um, and a lot. But a lot of our callers, again, it's probably um, in the off season, probably twenty different twenty one hour sessions of training to get a guy to you know be ready to call round one for the next year. I would have thought it'd be more than that. Um, and that exactly that's the minimum one because then when they're calling, as I said, as an AFL caller, you're actually calling back to a full timer, so you can get real time sort of feedback. So what happens, you're talking about there being five at a game and, and five yep. um, back in the office in South Bank, and often there's two games going on at once. So does that mean there's... Yep, so we've got three stations. So we got we can do a maximum of three games at once. Um, I think two or three years ago, there was a Saturday where they almost quadrupled up the games, but luckily <laughs> it didn't. Um, but we were we sort of, during the week, we were ready to go with another station. So again, back in the office, that's it's a need for... Uh, five computers in there. So as I said, you've got the keyboarder or main capture person who's inputting the stats and the back caller who's watching live vision. Next to them, you've got graphical capture who's dotting where everything is and that's where we get our meters gained, our time in forward half and that because we can actually... So that's not GPS driven? That's... No, not yet because there's no ball tracking with GPS and, I mean, graphical capture we've been doing since 2004. GPS, I think, players... I mean, I think two years ago, 95% of players were wearing GPS. So it's only this year where we've had 100% of players. So... GPS is the future mm. of stats capture, but it's still not fully incorporated. So they haven't whacked one in the footy yet? No, not yet. So that's probably the yeah the, the, the biggest thing that GPS is missing at the moment is where is the ball at any given time. So I'm fascinated by the bunker back in the office, for instance. If a game takes roughly three hours go to woe, and you think of work in a you know, general eight-hour shift or something, does that mean that teams do two games, or is it one game? Because um, it must be so well, mentally draining. It is. It's um, Yeah, so two games is probably the maximum you can do in a day. Um Again, as a full-timer, we sort of say one game works out to be half a day. So if I work two games, it's, you know, a yeah. full day's work. Um, we do, that's AFL. We do all other competitions as well, VFL, TAC Cup, and they all have different levels of stats. you got guys that sort of put their hand up to do three TAC Cup games on a Sunday, come in, and, and we sort of say the same thing. We sort of say, well, you don't want we to know you want to, but we, we, we couldn't trust that it's going to be as accurate in the third game as you are in your first quarter of your first game. Um, it is. It's, it's that fatigue of trying to do too much in one day. So two games is usually yeah, the maximum. Do you have any tricks or like a quarter time, do you make sure you get out of the box or get out of the office and, and have a walk around just to make uh, well, sure you Well, as don't... I said, so my main role is spotter. Um, so back in the, or back caller we call it, back in the office. Basically don't stop until post-match. So quarter time is where we check all, was that a handball? Did he kick it from 51 or 49? You know, was that an actual hit out or... 
Um, and again, that's because we've got the you know uh, different angles of vision to look at once they come in from you know from the venues. So when when you and and um, your staff members finish finish you know your jobs at, on game day, you obviously. You, you haven't really taken in the game. You know, I, I know certainly as a um, as a journalist, there's games that you go and cover, and you actually for, you're so entrapped with your work, you're concentrating on what you're doing. You actually don't get to sit back and, and enjoy the nuances and the ebbs and flows of the game itself. So, do you have to? Yep. If it's a game that you really wanted to watch and take in, do you you have to watch it again? I assume if you want to watch it as a fan, if you correct, like. yeah, I, I'll go home and I'll if I work on a Saturday night and I see the same game when I get home on Saturday night, I start seeing things that I hadn't <laughs> seen before because you're watching it in such minuscule granular detail when you're calling you sort of yeah I, I get asked about oh how about you know this bit of play with one minute to go where a guy got 50 minutes in the clear like I, I don't remember that but if you had to tell me you remember that bit where we had to change the handball to the kick long to you know this oh yeah I remember that bit but it is it's I, I come home sometimes and you know might meet up with mates after a game oh what games you work on I'll say Brisbane Geelong who won yeah. I can't remember <laughs> like, I, I seriously cannot That's remember amazing. some games um, and the other two things I find fascinating in working at Champion Data I seriously don't have a great handle on the ladder I'm all right with, but the ladder and the Coleman medal are probably the two of the last things we look at because we are so, again, we're getting, we'll talk about what we do during the week because we're at such nitty gritty and we're, you know, no one sort of calls us up and says who's on top of the ladder. All the queries we get is who's the best at contested possession, who's mm-hmm. the best kick. Who's... So sometimes you get to round six and someone will say, oh, how about this team being in the top here? Like, I actually haven't realised that. I've been, you know, my head's been so many other places that, yeah, the, the ladder almost becomes, yeah. So obviously you're here on a Tuesday doing the podcast with us. Uh, but first thing Monday, obviously the weekend's just happened. What what goes on in yeah, the office? Yeah, so Monday is probably our biggest day servicing the club. So first thing Monday morning, we do 18 PDF reports for each club based on a four-week time period. So right. You touched on that a couple of yeah, weeks ago. So yeah, so that is each club will get their own report plus their upcoming two opponents. And each club will want different things, right? Uh, so for this one here, it's a standard report. So every club, yes, definitely does want different things. Every club has different service level agreements, buy different stat, buy different stat packages. This is one which we call Head Start. It was a premium service. Now I think all 18 clubs are on it. So it's, you know, it's the top-level service. But it is, it's about... 25 pages of just everything in, in, involved in the game and we sort of go through and just comment on that across the top just so they yeah just to sort of show so the clubs how they're going you said that clubs can buy different stat packs so they don't yep. get everything given to them they no. have to they have to come to you and purchase it yeah, well, does that count towards the, the, the off field cap yep, or yep. cap so it all comes down to all that yeah off cap spending which they brought in so they need to decide whether they want to spend more money on getting more stats or and sacrificing in some other part of the footy department. Correct. Or so, so at the moment, I mean, I, I can't speak for the clubs. At the moment, I don't think the calls are that hard to make. I don't yep. think our prices are so so far up there yep. and there's so many people. But it is it is one of those calls of we can either go hire another analyst for $80,000 with the same stat package we had, mm-hmm. or we can spend $80,000 on the stat package and have our just give our current analysts more access. And it's that trade-off that every club has to make. Yep. Um, there's no point we've had, again, clubs are getting much better with it. Ten years ago, we had some clubs buy all of our data. We meet with them at the end of the season. They say, oh, you know, how do we find out this stuff? How do we find them? like, you've been getting that in your stats pack all year, but they just haven't had the analysts to be able to go through gotcha. it. So you, you need to make yeah. that balance. Yeah, we'll buy a lot of data, but we need someone to actually have time to go through that mm. data. Or you just can't no count up the it. ball boy looking at the data. And yeah. I mean, obviously, he's not going to pick up too much. And are some clubs, more, are some clubs put more focus on stats than other clubs you, you may not need to be able to mention names but is there club x that that goes really hard and really goes deep diving every week and some free to mention don't? club though if no you want. i i think it's more i think every club's come around to it now that i think they all use stats mm. um i know in recruiting seems to be probably where again 
um, you know, not heavily involved in it. But I see that is probably where the it's the old versus new style fighting of the old guy still wanting to go out and watch all the all the kids play and just sort of get the intangibles by eye. Now he he's a good kick because I saw him do this. Whereas there's some clubs that are clearly just going, all right, we'll, we'll watch a little bit, but we'll trust the numbers. And then you've got the other recruits that are clearly like, well, the numbers don't line up with what I believe, so therefore I'm, I'm never going to trust numbers again. That's so it, it is, and it, I think it's more in recruiting land that we're seeing that, um, you know, whether it's a power struggle. I think, I think, again, I think clubs in terms of coaches with the amount of assistant coach, the amount of analysts they got, they all see the value in stats. Um, we sort of joke about it and say, well, the stats give them a reason, you know, something to do during the week. If you know some of the analysts that you know, some of the things that we serve up, it's like well, twenty people in the box behind Nathan yeah. Buckley. <laughs> if you, if you didn't have stats to look at during the week, you'd, you know, you wouldn't have all those analysts working at the club and sort of digging through the numbers and trying to find out, you know, correlation to winning when we do this versus this. Um, so it is. It's it's. I think every club's come around to the value of stats, vision, and your eye sort of being working together. But I think in recruiting land, there's still a little bit of pushback of some people refusing to use stats, some people sort of using it a little bit, some people, you know, not valuing it um, for certain competitions over other competitions and things like that. So yep. uh, so what about later in the week? Obviously, gearing up for Friday, Saturday games, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, are you talking to media outlets yeah, or the clubs so, again? Yeah, basically we do a lot of, um, again, we've got uh, 11 people in the AFL department, six analysts and five um that look after all the rostering and HR pay. So we've got 200 staff members on a weekend working. So we do all the sam- waffle, sample, kneeful. That's all managed from our Melbourne office by, you know, two of the girls in there. Um, give them a shout out, Amanda and Ashley, who sort of Super look stars. after all all the staff, make sure we've got guys going to all the right waffle games, the right keyboarders with the right callers, making sure the new guys are with experienced guys. Um, get a call on a Friday afternoon. They've moved the game from the Gabba because it's going to rain to Yoronga, so we've got to get people out there, and you know, the, everything. So those two are, you know, absolute champions making sure that it all ticks on the weekend. Um, and we've got another two in that department that do sort of help with QA, help with rostering, help with sort of club management, uh, TAC Cup, VFL clubs and things like that. But the six analysts, we all sort of, um, we all have different clients that we sort of help, do what we call editorial assistants. So. Yeah. The so two like major us, newspapers, yeah. So the two major newspapers in Melbourne, they'll have two different sort of analysts working on them. So you'll never have the crossover of, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this Hawthorne stat to this newspaper, but I won't give it to this newspaper. They're completely isolated and different. So mm-hmm. everyone is sort of getting a full service, um, and we're sort of not double dipping. So that yeah. includes, yeah, all the all the broadcast stations, all the major newspapers. Betting companies are being become big, but again, betting companies are more just data feeds. Mm-hmm. They're not so much analysis. But again, there'll be a couple of things we do for. Um, a couple of betting companies will produce documents and things for the weekend, but it is it's a it's a whole lot of sort of editorial assistance from Monday to Friday. Fascinating, Full isn't on. it? Oh, yeah. it's a different it's world. It's not just rocking up to the game and calling stats. I mean, it's it's a whole new world. And is that what you thought? No, I didn't. But, you know, you, you could get that impression, but like two hundred staff on any given weekend, yeah. uh, all managed from a small office in Melbourne. It's it's amazing. Well, I always see them at the games. Like you guys are you generally in like the next little box yeah. to, to the media yeah. box. Who's the fellow that hands out boxes. the stats? At the half yeah, so that's who I say. That's our our right hand man, our outground IT. So he's the one that sort of yeah prints out the stats, makes sure that you know he visits visits every coach's box pre match, um, visits the umpires, makes sure we got the right team list and all that sort of stuff. So is there is there anything else that that the the average AFL fan or puncher on the street wouldn't know about champion data that, that you might be able to reveal here? Um, I mean, it's not a lot, but one thing that we are looking at for the future that we sort of, and I've probably touched it on a few of our pre-pods, I don't know if how much spoken on here, is just that divide between the understanding of champion data 
with our broadcast partners, um, commentators on air, sort of either either you know delivering the stats the wrong way or saying fallacies about things that we don't do that we actually do. So just having that sort of um, the more of a connection with the media who are actually selling our stats. So there'll be people in the public that go, I didn't even, you know, you guys don't record this stat. It's like, well, we do. It's just that none of the media, you know, all the clubs use it, but the media hasn't got around to it. So what we're looking at in the future is actually running champion data accreditation courses. So we'll start with the clubs and we'll get junior analysts in, show, sort of show them, well, this is the definition of every stat. This is how it's recorded. This is how it's used. Um, and then we'll expand that to the media. So I think the future of it is that whole sort of, yeah, bringing the whole world into sort of my my role of the week and being able to sort of say, well, this is what this exact exactly means. And we've covered it in the pod, you know, you, you hear pressure, but no one actually knows yeah. what does. I was what... going to say, you could just direct them to the ESPN for tips <laughs> and yeah. podcast. So I think we've covered probably 50% of the accreditation course <laughs> throughout the year, which is good. <laughs> if you're interested in getting into the, into the industry, listen back to every single episode. <laughs> uh, this has gone on. Uh, this has been amazing. But before we do move on, uh, we've got a little treat here. So everyone, I think a lot of people, Jake, you probably think have seen the, the last passage of play from the Brisbane Lions game against Geelong. Uh, where, I hope so. Where um, sort of the ball moves forward and Lincoln McCarthy takes that wonderful mark and kicks a goal. So what we thought we'd do is get uh, Christian to call the game as champion data would call it. Um, so it might be a bit hard to follow, but it's, I guess it's just like a radio call. So where are we going to begin this from? Yep. And then where are we going to end it? Yep. So there's a boundary throw in. Um with about two and a half minutes to go in the Brisbane-Geelong game um, in, in Brisbane's forward pocket. So we'll start from there and I'll think you'll be able to guess where we end. Take it away whenever you're ready. Yep. Throw in. Blixarves hit out. Taylor hard handball. Ablett receive handball clanger tackled by Neil. McCluggage loose handball tackled by Kelly. McStay contested knock on. Rich gather handball. Witherden receive kick long inside McCarthy contested mark you didn't get excited about that and then well you can't get excited and then again another little thing we have because it's a contested mark we'll have to decide now if he scores do we want the assist we'd say no for that because Witherden just sort of bombed it to to you know wasn't wasn't his intended target and McCarthy's taking a ripping mark so I find the I reckon the most challenging part of that would be not you're not just looking at the ball you it's also who's tackling as well that I reckon that correct is because you're almost having to Oh, he's got. Rid of it's probably the, it's him, probably yeah. the number one edit is yeah. the the tackler. We'll, we'll yeah, ninety five percent of them you get live, but again, because you're so ball centric, that thing's sort of coming. The tackler's always coming from just off your mm. sort of line of vision, so it is awesome. amazing. I think I've said this a few times, but that's probably the best champion data segment we've had all year. <laughs> uh, it's time to move on. I've had a gutful. Might be rivaling uh, me for my favourite segment, Jake. So you've got a bit to, you've got a bit to live up to with your rant segment. What have you had a gutful of this week? Well, this is the first, Matt, and I think you'll be pretty happy about this. This is the first time this year I'm going to double down on someone or, or something, no, it's a someone, that I've had a gutful of, <laughs> and that person's name is Chris Scott. I could not believe that he had said Charlie Cameron had no influence on the game, the, the game Christian was just calling the end of there. Did he not watch this match? Cameron kicked five goals of their 10, I believe. So he kicked half their goals. It was a low-scoring game. He was the most electric forward on the ground. He, he, I mean, he didn't kick the winning goal, if, if that's what he wanted. He didn't kick the McCarthy goal. But he won them that game. What was the final margin? I believe it was one point. And how many points did he kick on his own? I think 30. 32. 32. Oh, there you go. You missed a couple. He has been... He, we were talking about the All-Australian team before with Ben Brown. I, I think, and, and this might sound outrageous, but I think if, if, if I was picking it, he would just about be the, the first lock. When you're thinking about positions, 
you've got all the mid, these midfielders that you could th- throw a blanket over. You've got the ruck the ruck duel between the, the two of them that are always there. And then you've got the defense, which is, there's, there's so many. Small forward, he has been the standout small forward this year. He is the first picked in the All-Australian team, and he dominated against Geelong. He's, he's, he's just got, he can't, he's a sore loser, Chris Scott. I'm, I'm saying it. He's a sore loser because every time he does lose, he has to make an excuse. Why he can't just say, you know, we had a chance to win this. We didn't win it. We weren't good enough. Let's let's move on to next week. He always has to find excuses. It's not good enough. Yeah, it, it was very unbecoming from a from a person that represents the club to say, "Oh no, I don't think he really had that big an influence on the game." You know, just just cop it, Chris. You know, understand that you, you got beaten. You know, you it was lost. a flip of the coin game. Yeah. You lost by one point. Um, and pay a bit of respect to your opponent. Because I can bet you right now, if Geelong held on to win that, and they'd asked him after the game, oh, what do you think of Charlie Cameron's game? He kicked five goals. He would have said, he's terrific. He's the best small forward in the comp. Blah, 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 I don't blah. think he even would have done that. He, no, nah, I reckon he would have. But he's a sore loser. and So he's got to turn around and say, well, he's not that good. And you were talking before, Neil, about Richmond a couple of years ago when they were dominating at the MCG. And he said, you know, I don't think they're that good at the MCG. And then they lost by 10 <laughs> goals. So, I mean, it's... You know, you can't carry on like that. You've Sometimes you just got to put your hand up and say, the better side beat us, you know. It wasn't as if they were that much better. It was a really close game. Either team could have won that and it could have gone either way. And who knows? They'll probably play again in September and it might go the other way. Yeah, Yeah, you've spoken to to, to my my soul on this because everyone says he's a good media performer as well. And he has that spot on 360. But he has a a strange sort of holier-than-thou attitude the entire time, tries to, well, that's actually the wrong opinion. Like he answered a Juno's question uh, in a a press conference uh, the other day. He was just sort of, the, the Juno was very valid in the questioning and it wasn't his question it was questioning something that had happened in the con- it's hard to explain but uh, he turns around Chris Scott and sort of says he takes offence uh, too much yeah he's like oh that's not a very smart question or something like yeah. that and it just he, the, the just, lack of respect mm. between especially the media maybe that's why we're worked up by him <laughs> uh, but he's, he, the, the attitude that he sort of takes into the media sometimes is really really poor and I think you nailed it when you said it was, it's unbecoming of a coach and the three votes goes to Geez, I've got a lot to live up to after that too. So the last two segments have been pretty spot on. Uh, but I'm going to give... This is a good little three-vote segment because... Is it? Christian, you, rem- <laughs> you reminded me... Pat yourself on the back me. again. Carlton, three votes? <laughs> no, we should talk about the Blues. We won't have time this week. We haven't had a chance to chat about the Blues at all. <laughs> no, bloody good. Um, Christian, you kind of uh, brought this up in the pre-podcast meeting and I, I, I ticked it off. I didn't actually have a three-vote segment before this. Uh, but you're absolutely right when you say that earlier in the year, the furor about the Marvel Stadium surface was almost like non-stop for a couple of weeks. Uh, and then they had to replace the turf on one wing because it was just so bad and could have you know, resulted in injuries and looked terrible. And the SCG had troubles because there were rugby games and rugby league games and soccer games going on. And Perth Stadium, uh, the Optus Stadium in Perth had issues because it was too hard. I've not heard crickets for about two, three, maybe even four months. So I don't know what they've done at Marble Stadium, but good on them because the the, the job they've done to get that surface up to a, to scratch where people aren't talking about it anymore, and same with the SCG and to a lesser extent Optus Stadium. There's been a bit of rain over there, but the curators that do the the gigs for AFL uh, are doing a bang up job, and, and Marble Stadium is looking in great nick as the season's coming to a close. It cops so much heat, and yeah, I think the fact that no one's speaking about it says a lot. So well done to them. Hey, we do need to move on. We are here for footytips.com.au. There are just, well, there's just one week, really, of mm. uh, regular Amazing season. I think that we're almost in finals. I know, we are. And if your competition does have finals, don't forget to put your tips in for finals because I made that mistake a couple of years ago thinking that round 23 was the end and I was wrong. Uh, and I was somewhere near the top and ended up uh, somewhere near the bottom. So <laughs> anyway, uh, Neil, I'm going to throw it over to you because we've got an interesting segment on tip-friendly teams. Can you enlighten me? We do. I'll look back at last round. Um, it was a round that... Um, uh, 
will probably decide a lot of tipping competitions because it was there were so many 50-50 games. The average was um, just over four. Um, so it was a really tough tipping round. There's no perfect rounds. Um, but we started thinking about which, which, this is going to be a bit of a mouthful to explain, but which club do most people get right when they tip them? So tip-friendly teams. So you, you, team, you tip team X and more often than not they win against teams that you, you get wrong more often than not. So... Or, or is it the other way as well, where if you do the against as, them, they're likely to yeah, also so lose? The, the more, so games they're involved in, then the, you're you, going to you get, get it right you, more you, often You get it not. right, either tipping for they're, them They're or either really them. good or really bad, sort of. So thing. who do you think is the number one team uh, in the, across the league this year that people got right? Gold Coast. Gold, have to be, wouldn't it? Okay, that, was a, that was a bit <laughs> easy. Well, okay, <laughs> I, I, a more difficult question. What's Who's the number two team? Uh, yeah, that's a bit tougher. Geelong. Uh Brisbane. Yeah, I'll be looking at an state team like West Coast or Frio. Richmond. Ooh. Richmond, I'm two. St Kilda, three. West Coast, four. And Car- uh, Geelong, five. Okay. So, And yeah. down the bottom, the team that's been the most difficult to tip all year. Any guesses? I've got to be Port. Port, Port Adelaide, <laughs> up and down. Oh, okay, Port. so not Brisbane because it's such a surprise. I think people have got used to Brisbane yeah, being maybe, good after five yeah. or six rounds. Western Bulldogs. Yeah, so that's yeah. They're, they're at 48%, so more more people get it wrong than right when they're what tipping. What about Port? They've got to be down there, sure. Port are actually at only 15th. So that's just me that's having only trouble 15th. tipping Port. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's so really interesting. Some teams you can really trust. Some teams mm. keep Gold on us all year. Trust them. Yeah. You know what you're going to get? <laughs> um, speaking of uh, tipping, do we have certainties and upsets for this week, Neil? Who are you going to go with? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an upset first. I think... I don't know whether I'm getting swept up in, in how well Essendon played on the weekend. I think they, they could upset Collingwood. Um, I think the fact that they, they're meeting at the MCG, they've got that, that pace on the outside which can trouble Collingwood. Well, they should have won on... They should have won on Anzac yeah. Day, shouldn't they? So they, I think they, they might just um, get up for that game. Jake, upset? Uh, upset. I'm going to go Carlton against Geelong. I know this this is a bit of a crazy one, but I think <laughs> Geelong, if you look at the ladder, there's, there's going to be... And we just spoke about Chris Scott, but... He, he does annoy me, but I reckon he's a real tactical guy. And I reckon there might be... I'm not saying they're going to throw the game, but there might be value in not winning that game. So I wouldn't be surprised if Carlton win that one. They're a big outsider And they're right playing now. reasonably, reasonably and well And they're playing well. well. And look, even if Geelong are trying, the way they're tracking right now, I mean, I don't think Carlton's a 5-1 to one outsider. No, I think the Blues only lost by three goals the last time they played yeah. down there. And um, Carlton's playing much better and Geelong's not playing as well. So. A certainty from you? Uh, a certainty. I'm going to go north to beat Melbourne. I think Melbourne's just been really poor the last... Uh, the last, few, I mean, all season, but the last few weeks, really, they've shown no spirit. Um, and I think North Down really, I think they'll really want to finish on a high mm. um, under Shore, and then it'll it'll give them a nice boost in the next season. Certainly, an upset from you, Christian. I'll let you go first this time. Yeah, certainly is Geelong. So I'm probably the opposite to Jake. I, I, I can't see Carlton sort of taking the four points away from him down at uh, GMHBA Stadium. So I'll tip them down there. My upset, I've got, yeah, both Essendon and Brisbane. I'll, I'll go with Brisbane just so I can drop this stat. So I think Brisbane will beat the Tigers, which will uh, be their first so win huge. against them since round 7, 2009. So Richmond's won the last 12 against them. Wow. I mean, uh, they're so busting about having a word on somebody. Yeah. yeah, so they might as well just bust another one. Neil, yeah. a certainty from you. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't give you a certainty before. I think the Doggies against Adelaide. I think Adelaide can't play finals. The Doggies are playing in my now adopted hometown of Ballarat. It's going to be wet, wet, wet and wild and woolly and probably very contested. Which suits the doggies, and I think Adelaide's, uh, they've already mentally checked out. Yeah, the, that was going to be my certainty, and oh, so sorry, was man. Carlton when uh, I realised <laughs> that you two were going with those. So I'm going to go with uh, the Giants to beat the Suns. Surprise, That's surprise. probably not too big a uh, certainty, but... Oh, I think they, they should still very much get the job done, even yeah. though it is uh, on the Gold Coast. Uh, and my upset was going to be Carlton, as I said. 
Oh, who am I going to go you with? You can go instead? the Blues again if you think that's right. Go the Blues. No, I won't go the Blues because you never know. <laughs> I like the Lions. I think the Lions will will get up uh, at the MCG. Just hope it isn't wet because the Richmond are the best wet weather team in the land. Hey, before we go, make sure you do rate and subscribe. We uh, still have one more uh, week to go before the end of the regular season, but we will be here throughout finals. So uh, make sure you are subscribed to keep up to date with all of our latest podcasts, and we will speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast.